We give your name honor. We honor you on this day. Because this is the day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we praise you. We honor you. We ask that you speak to us on today. That you speak through me on today, God. We ask, I ask that you move me out of myself on today, God. That you speak clearly, Lord God. God, that you make it plain for us on today. That you illuminate your revelation for us on today. That you open and unveil mysteries for us today, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Well, welcome to church, everybody. Good to see you again. Amen. One more time in his grace, but most of all his mercy. And he brought us here because of his love. So we thank you, God. And don't take it for granted. And don't take it lightly that we are here. And you give us another opportunity. Yes. yes, God. Another opportunity to praise and worship your great and mighty name. Your strong name, Lord. That your name is, is strong, it's great, it's mighty. Yes. Hallelujah. The late, great Charles Spurgeon, who was also known as the Prince of Preachers, told this story of his grandfather James and his faith in God. He had a large family and a very small income, but he loved his Lord, and he would not have given up on given up his preaching the gospel for anything. That's his grandfather. One day, the cow on which the family relied for milk for the children suddenly died. James Spurgeon's wife was greatly concerned, but he said God said he would provide. And I believe he could send 50 cows if he pleased. Now on the same day, a group, of, a group met in London, a group James Spurgeon did not know. And they wanted to help meet the needs of poor pastors. They raised a large sum of money and began sending it to different pastors in need to help their families. When they reached the end of that list, there were still five pounds left. So one man suggested sending it to James Spurgeon. Another man said, no, let's not just send him five pounds. Let me add five more to go with it. Others joined in, and in the day after his cow died, James Spurgeon received 20 pounds in the mail. You can trust God to keep his promises and to provide for your needs both physically but especially spiritually. Amen. 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 You can trust God to keep his promises to provide for your needs both physical and spiritual. Now, I need to say this. There is a difference between what you need and what you want. Okay. There is a difference between what you need and what you want. Your need points out the something you must have for survival, such as food, water, clothing, and shelter. 
Your want refers to something which is good to have but not essential to your survival, such as going to a movie, a concert, or buying the latest jewelers. Amen. But the truth of the matter is this. When you align your needs and wants with God's, his provision never disappoints. When you align your needs and wants with God's, God's, with God's, his provision never disappoints. Now you have heard God described as Jehovah Jireh, right? Amen. Which means what? God will provide. The Lord will provide. If anyone should have learned this, the children of Israel should have learned that lesson well. For 40 years they roamed the wilderness while God wonderfully provided precisely what they needed. Yes. However, they soon forgot that the Lord was providing their needs daily. All right? Every morning, God dropped the equivalency of 240 freight cars of manna on the ground. And when they needed water, he provided it miraculously out of a rock. Still, it wasn't long before they got their needs confused with their wants and began to complain. According to Numbers 11, 5 and 6 in the New King James, which says, We remember the fish which we freely, which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole thing is dried up. There is nothing but this manna, which was a blessing, before our eyes. Now, does that sound familiar? No matter how much God has given us, we find a way to complain about it, saying it's not enough. It's not the latest. It's not the best. I wish I would have asked for something else. Marinate there. Because sooner or later it's going to say, you're going to say, ouch. <laughs> but don't fear, never fear. But complaining is a serious matter because it opens the door for a spirit to come in. That spirit is known as the spirit of dissatisfaction. Hmm? Spirit of dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction is a feeling of discontentment, displeasure with circumstances in life or other people, and it is a feeling of unhappiness. And here are some things you need to know about dissatisfaction of the spirit. The enemy causes it. Disappointments cause dissatisfaction. Materialism causes dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction will lead you into sin and dissatisfaction leads to grumbling. The enemy causes dissatisfaction. Disappointments causes dissatisfaction. Materialism causes dissatisfaction. And dissatisfaction will lead you into sin and dissatisfaction leads to grumbling. When you have, a, have the spirit of dissatisfaction attached to you, 
You close the door on the spirit of gratefulness to the Lord who will provide, which will cause you to try and get what God didn't want you to have on your own. So the spirit of dissatisfaction is a serious spirit, just like the spirit of fear. It's lesser known, but it's prevalent. Right? Because we always want something more. We're not satisfied with what we God has given us, which causes us to grumble, mumble, and complain, just like the children of Israel. God, you blessed us with this manner. Now are we all dried up because of all this manner that you've given us. Another place in the Bible, he gave them meat to eat, quail. They got so sick of quail that they got tired of eating quail. God removed the quail and still kept the manna coming. And yet they complained. The spirit of dissatisfaction will have you operating outside of the will of God. But I am here to tell you today what you really need, God's got it. Okay? What you really need, God's got it. Let's go to Psalm 37. What you really need God's God. It's not the things. It's not all that. But what you really need, God's God. Now, the context of that Psalm 37 is David is named as the author of this song. Now, there are 150 songs, right? And many people believe that David wrote all of them, but he actually wrote 75 of them. Okay? 75 of them. Now, this is an alphabetic psalm, or also known as an acrostic psalm, where each pair of lines begin with, a success, with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. This psalm was written to us rather than written to God. And it contrasts the lifestyle of the wicked and deceitful with the righteous and forgiven. I would encourage you to read the whole of Psalm 37 if you get a chance this week. Amen? Amen. So we're going to start in verse 16 for today. A little that a righteous man have is better than the riches of many wicked. Or another translation says it this way. It is better to be godly and have a little than to be rich, evil and rich. Contradicts our culture, right? We want to get rich. Have more money, more money, more money. And people do all kinds of crazy things trying to get rich to have the power and trying to stay in power so that they can have the more than anybody else. There was a saying when I was used to work in this a long time ago. They said, the man with the most toys wins when he dies. No, he's still dead. And all the toys that you got is left behind. And somebody else will be playing with your toys. Amen. <laughs> Let's go to verse 17. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, 
but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. So if you are godly, let me put a pen here. Don't be ashamed, as I said a couple weeks ago, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Don't be ashamed if you're gospel. If, 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 you, if, you, if you have the gospel of Jesus Christ or are a believer. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish or will die. And the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs they shall consume. Into smoke they shall consume away. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. But the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. Talking about the righteous. The steps of a good man are what? Ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly cast down, shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his what? Amen. David goes on to say, I have been what? Young. And now am what? Old. Yet have I, have I not seen the righteous forsaken, forsaken, nor his what? Seen begging bread. He is ever merciful and lender, and his seed is what? Blessed. Scripture always counsels us to look at life from an eternal perspective. Whatever earthly gains we see in the lives of the wicked are just that. Temporary. And eternity will not be kind to those who profit from evil. Now, there's a whole lot of wicked and evil people out here that look like they got what we want. Mm -hmm. However, they are wicked and evil. And that's what they have on this earth is temporary. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need money as a tool, but we don't need to fall in love with money because it is what the root of all evil, right? That's what the Bible says. Eternity will not be kind to those who profit from evil. I don't care who they are and what they espouse to be. Eternity will not be kind to those who profit from evil. David concludes that it's better to have a little from a worldly perspective and to be righteous than to be evil. Although the wicked seem to prosper and violently oppose the righteous, the righteous can trust the Lord to care for them. For those who honor God, whatever little you have is better than the abundance of wicked people. Now, this is what I really want you to hear. As a believer, you have the Lord, and you will inherit good, eternal things. 
Not things on earth, but things in eternity. Like what? The crown of righteousness. The crown of life. Everlasting life. You receive what God will, will, uh, will uh, allow you to see, which is him at the center of that a center of eternity. Now, the wicked have nothing to look forward to in eternity except for condemnation. In this psalm, David contrasts the way God protects and saves his people, contrasted with the ruin which awaits the wicked. Much of this seems to be based on David's own lived experiences. As with many of the passages in the psalm and Proverbs, this passage encourages godly wisdom. Those who reject God and his ways can expect uncertainty on earth and disaster in eternity. So what you need, what you really need, God's guidance. So what, what do we need? All right? Let's dig in. We really need forgiveness. Let's go to Micah. It's a minor prophet. Don't know Micah's name. Don't know Micah's name. Don't know Micah's name. Chapter 7 and verses 18 through 19. Remember, your need pointed out to something you must have. And since we are talking from the eternal and historical perspective, you need God's forgiveness. Okay. I'll give you a second because I know Micah can get passion. <laughs> he in there, trust me. He in there somewhere. You just got to dig him out. You might have to go to the table of contents. That's okay. It's not a sin to go to the table of contents. contents. That's what it's there for. Amen. <laughs> That's what it's there for. Micah chapter 7. Y'all there? Verse 18 and 19 says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in what? Mercy. He will turn again and he will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. The Lord. Amen. That should be a shouting point, right? <laughs> Forgiveness in the Bible is a release or dismissal of something. Now what we have that those in the Old Testament didn't have is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Amen. Forgiveness as a believer in Christ involves being released from God's penalty and, and the complete dismissal of all the charges against you. Y'all remember the song of Shirley C. Pastor Caesar used to sing, No Charge. <laughs> but Jesus dropped the, God dropped the charges huh? through Jesus Christ. Romans 8 chapter, 8 chapter verse 1 in King James says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Colossians 1 and 14 in the New King James says that in God's beloved Son, we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of 
sins. Now I want you to mark that it's important because in two weeks we will be celebrating the resurrection. will be resurrection day. Where we will celebrate, commemorate what Jesus did for us. Amen? Amen. The Amplified translates the last phrase like this. The forgiveness of our sins and the cancellation of sin's penalty. It's forgiveness and cancellation. Forgiveness is an integral part of salvation. When Jesus forgives us, our sins, trespasses, iniquities, and transgressions are erased and they are wiped off the record. Mm. Wiped off. Another word for that is blind out. Or as if they didn't exist. Amen. Forgiveness of your sin is comparable to a financial debt being erased. When Jesus said, it is finished from the cross in John chapter 19 verse 30, he was literally saying, your sin debt is paid in full. To tell us that. Jesus took the punishment we deserve so that when God forgives our sins, we are free and we no longer live under a debt we could never repay in the first place. Psalm 1312, the King James says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions or sins from us. This literally means our sins are wiped out. And another shocking part is God will never hold it against us again. Hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus. It's impossible to have salvation without forgiveness. So this is what you need to remember about God's forgiveness. Because we let me say it this way. God's forgiveness has always been part of the plan. Well, how do you know? Genesis chapter 3, when there was a fall, what did God do? He put the plan of redemption in place. God didn't just think of it when they fell. He already knew that they was going to fall, so he already had the plan put together before they actually fell. Because he already knew that they was going to fall. So he already had the plan of redemption already in, in, in the process. In fact, the fall was part of the process that gave us Jesus Christ. Hmm. God's forgiveness has always been his plan. God's forgiveness is a gift. A gift is something that you get that you don't have, that you don't have to pay back, but then also you're not expecting it. But it's your choice to receive God's gift of forgiveness. And God's forgiveness, this is key word, this is a key one. God's forgiveness can't be lost. <laughs> when God forgives, he forgives forever. It's already as if you hadn't sinned, he justifies you. He declares us righteous. When we receive the free gift of forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. So what we really need is this, what? Forgiveness. The next thing we need is direction. <laughs> right? Who needs this direction? 
Let's go back to our other song, back to our song. We need his direction. Verse 23 says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighted in his way. Verse 24 says, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his what? Hand. The term translated as order or established is from, the, from a Hebrew verb that also can mean guide, direct, and make reliable. In other words, the steps of a good man are directed by the Lord. It's directed by the Lord. Well, how can that happen? Look at verse 5. It says this. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall do what? Bring it to pass. So when you have committed your way as a believer in God, your steps are made sure by God. Now, that's even in the midst of the biggest controversy, in the midst of the biggest struggle, in the midst of the biggest stress, in the midst of the biggest pain that you're in, your steps have been made sure by God. Why? It, because you have committed your way to him. And because you commit your way to him, your steps are ordered or guided or directed by him. Even the unpleasant stuff. Hmm? What's encouraging? Well, not only are they directed by him, he would guard them and ensure that they are solid steps. Hmm. It is encouraging to know that even your small inconsequential steps are not too insignificant, too insignificant for God. A step is just a step, right? You think it's nothing big. However, that step is ordered by God. And because it's ordered by him, that step that you've taken is not inconsequential to God. In other words, he watches over it and he's directed that step. Amen? And he loves and cares for you so much that he actually takes pleasure in guiding your steps. When you fall, you won't fall to destruction because God holds you in his great, big, righteous right hand. And no man can pluck you out. Verse 31 in the same passage in the New Living Translation says this, they have made God's law their own, so they never slip from his path. So when you make God's word or his law your own, you won't ever slip from his path. Why? Because you have committed your way to him, and as you have committed your way to him, he'll direct your step, and you will never slip, and even though you fall, you'll fall into his hand. Yeah. <laughs> hmm? That comes from somebody that's a believer. Even though you may not get it all right, and sometimes you slip up, you're going to fall where? In his hand. His righteous, his great big, as I wrote, righteous right hand. That's my translation. Amen. Hmm? What an incredible truth to know that God is right 
ready to establish your walk if you will simply commit or entrust your walk to him. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, he's right there. Because when you fall, you're going to fall right into his hand. It's not that you're going to fall and he drop. You're going to fall right back into it. Because you're already standing on his hand and standing in his hand so that when you fall, it's not a long way to fall because you're just going to fall back into his hand where there's comfort. Where there's peace. Where there's his authority. Where his love. Where his grip is. Joy, peace, love, where his mercy is, where his grace is. Hallelujah. So when you fall, don't let the devil ever make you think that you are not falling in the righteous right hand of God. Because as long as you committed yourself to him, your steps are ordered and you fall into his hand. Amen. But even more incredible is that he takes pleasure in catching you. (laughs) God loves to catch you. He loves that you are in his hand. He takes pleasure in it. Think about it. Father God, the creator and sustainer of everything, takes pleasure pleasure in walking and talking and catching you. I'm talking about you and me. The insignificant messed up us. The ones that fall short of the glory of God daily sometimes. The one that gets weak in our faith sometimes. Sometimes get caught up in the culture sometimes. Sometimes get in our own way sometimes. Sometimes we murmur and complain and still have a spirit of dissatisfaction, but guess what? God is still there to catch us because we have fallen and he will never let anything pluck us out of his hand. Amen. Now David knew better than most that there would be dark days in this life because he wrote in Psalm 23 that even though he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he didn't fear evil because his heavenly shepherd was with him. Hmm? Amen. <laughs> From Psalms, like Psalm 23 and 37, you learn that God is with you and he delights to fellowship with you and you can trust him with your life. Amen. Yes. We have a God If you're a believer, you have a God that you can trust with your life. God's presence assures you that you can accomplish his will for you. God's presence will help you overcome your fear Worry and dissatisfaction. So you need his forgiveness. You need his direction. And most of all, you need his love. Mm. Let's go to Jeremiah. 
31. You need his forgiveness. You need his direction. And you need his what? Love. But you really need God's God. <laughs> he got those things and more. Amen. Amen. 31, 3 and 4 says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness or unfailing love, have I drawn thee. Again, I will build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. And thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, and shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. The NLT Verse number three and four says this. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting, unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. I will rebuild you, my virgin Israel. You will be happy. You'll, you will again be happy and dance merrily with your tambourines. Hmm. Now, this verse it's God speaking to Israel, his own special people. And since we have been grafted in, this verse is for every believer. Hmm? Grafted means that as a believer, you have been closely united to and planted together as a spiritual Israel. Because Israel rejected Jesus, so Jesus, so the Gentiles were brought in. You read that in the New Testament all day, all day long. In fact, that's who Paul ministered to the most. Were the Gentiles. Because the Jews couldn't get themselves together. So God said, okay, that's okay. I'll go get me somebody. Thank God that's us. You need to remember that God's will is going to get done with you or without you. Don't think too highly of yourself. Amen. God loves you and me. Let me say that again. God loves you and he loves me. In fact, he got the I can't help it. He can't help but love us because he is love. Hmm? God's love is pure love and it does not depend on us doing anything to deserve his love or earn his love. Important to note that God's love is not human love. Amen. That often has unspoken demands and reservations. Thank you. It's always conditions. God's love is what? Unconditional. Agape. Yes. Unconditional. And God's love is absolutely pure. And he intends the very best for us. Most of us are subject to feelings of inferiority or in other words, thinking there is someone who is better than us, whether in looks, personality, achievements, social status, or, circ or circumstance, and so on. God, your heavenly Father, does not look at those things. 
He don't care what you look like. He don't care what you got or what you don't got. He don't care who you up against. All he does, all he does is love you anyway. Most times in spite of us. <laughs> he loves us when we don't love ourselves. How many have fallen in that trap? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, he loves us in spite of us sometimes. He made you who you are. And guess what? He wants to do a work within you, starting from where you are and not from some goal you think you should have reached before he accepts you. What does that mean? In other words, don't get yourself together before you get with God. A lot of people say, well, when I get myself together, I'm going to come to church. Yeah. Well, newsflash, you won't ever get yourself together. That's just a trick of the enemy tricking you into believing that you can't get yourself together. Because God accepts you just where you are. Because then he can work on you and then raise you up to another level in him. He don't care what you have gone through, what you've been through, what you have done in your past. Your past will be erased as far as the east is from the west when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Based on what? God's love for you. I need to reiterate this. You don't have to do anything to earn God's love. You don't have to work up to it. That's religion. God has sent Jesus love down to us to dwell among us to show us his love. Amen? It is offered to us and all we have to do is accept it. Repeat after me. Say, God loves me. Now say it again. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. And he accepts me right where I am. Praise God. Let that sink in. He loves you right where you are. He's not looking for superstar Christians or superstar believers. He's looking for messes. So he could take a mess and turn it into a message and turn a test into a testimony. He is looking for that messed up you. Because then you can be worked with. If you come in when you think you all put together, then you get caught up in pride, thinking you all that and all that, right? Hmm? God loves you just where you are. How do you know? John 3.16, my favorite scripture says what? For God what? So loved, past tense, the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes, thank God, in him should not perish, but what? Everlasting life starts when you receive him right from that second on. You are in everlasting life. What does that mean? You may die in your body, but you will live forever with him in eternity. Praise God. From the uttermost, as it says, to the guttermost. 
He will accept you just where you are. Why? He loves you. And he refused to live without us. After the fall, that he set the plan in motion to have Jesus to redeem us of our sins. God's love is unconditional love by choice. And it's by the act of his will. God's love for you does not need chemistry, affinity, and it's not because of a feeling. Because mm. y'all, some of us, we've been around and had more than one boyfriend or girlfriend. And you thought you were so in love with them that you couldn't live without them. But 25 years later, you thank, you thank God. Well, I thank God he delivered me from that. <laughs> I know I did one amen. <laughs> because that love that we thought we had was based on some feeling. Because they may have looked good, smelled good, talked good, acted like they was good, but really it was bad. See, God's love is not based in that stuff. God's love is based because of who he is. And he accepts you for just who you are. And what you really need, he's got it, and that's his love. And you've heard me say that over and over again, say this over and over again, that we won't feel the full weight of his love until we get into eternity. Because if he gave us his full weight of love on this earth, we could not live. It's just like his glory. You can't live with the full weight of God's love on you just like his glory. So he can only give us a glimpse of it. Just enough. Hallelujah. So God loves you, I said earlier, in spite of you. And what you really need is his forgiveness his direction, and most of all, his love. When you have God's love, you don't need man, woman, boy, or girl's love because you know God's love is unconditional and he could be your father when you're fatherless, mother when you're motherless. He could be a bridge over troubled water, as they say. His love will fill you full and complete with his joy. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Say, so what I really need, God's got it. Amen. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Amen. What I really need, He's got it. And He's glad to supply it. You know, but my God should supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. We always apply it to money. Hallelujah. But God will supply all your needs and this riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And what we really need is his love. Praise God. Unconditional. Yes. Unreserved. Hallelujah. So if you don't know him today, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you'll receive God's love.
as much as you can handle here in this earth. Amen. Mm. Hallelujah.